0: Welcome to the Injury Report. I am your host, Joe Brenner. Today is going to be Thursday, November 10th, although today is actually Wednesday, November 9th for me and my friend here, who is Mr. Andrew Fauci, affectionately referred to as Foxy from Minster, Ohio, where he then went to Miami on the cross country team and then helped save our nation where he worked at the NIH over our pandemic. And now he is currently a Toledo medical student along with me, where he is a fellow Notre Dame fan and a great friend. And all I can say about him is as smart and handsome as he is, he is more a gentleman. So how are you doing today, Andy?
1: I'm doing good, you're you're too nice. That's, that's too much, Joey, that's too much. <laughs>
0: Well, I invited Andrew to come over and talk about some stuff today because um, we had dinner last night and talked about the college football playoff rankings because that that was the only election results that we were worried about, and there were a lot of scenarios that we got going and just thought it would be fun to talk about. So, um, to get us started, first... We had our basketball team, our IM basketball team, had its final game today. It wasn't supposed to be our final game, but we lost in the semifinals. It
1: is tough. Hard, played hard. Just, you know, basketball is a game where you have to make shots, and if you miss shots, you lose. And today, we definitely missed our shots. So, yes. Yeah. That's 100% what it was. A student analysis. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly what it was. That's the hard-hitting stuff you're going to get today. So...
0: From the college football playoff rankings so far, I personally think they don't need to dr- drop them until the time of because it seems like they treat the top four
1: differently from the rest. But who do we have in the top four right now? So right now I think it's it's got to be the four undefeated teams, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. Now uh, I would like to think that – all, all four of them, if they win out, will 100% make the playoff. That is obviously impossible because Michigan will be playing Ohio State. And I think that's probably a good place for us to start is that that Big Ten scenario. What are, What's the likelihood of us seeing two Big Ten teams in the playoff? Um, and so we were talking last night and a little bit just before uh, if essentially... Ohio State wins out, and Michigan goes eleven and one. How is their eleven and one Michigan's treated differently than if Ohio State loses to Michigan and Ohio State is eleven and one? Uh, we kind of came to the consensus that Michigan has a very weak out of conference schedule, uh, and kind of have, have played some close games this year. Ohio State has two, but uh, uh, a one loss Ohio State that does not make the Big Ten championship game is probably a little better suited than a Michigan team that loses to Ohio State. Do you think the same thing?
0: I do agree, and looking at it right now, we are going to assume just in this scenario there's going to be at least one SEC school. Ohio State is undefeated in this scenario. Michigan has the loss, and a one-loss Michigan team that doesn't even make the Big Ten championship is going to be looking down the barrel of A TCU who could be undefeated. Now, I don't think they will be because they still play Texas, Kansas, and Iowa State. And that's kind of the meat of the Big 12 other than Oklahoma. But we still have the possibility that a Pac-10 team, Pac-12 team goes whatever in one. And the same with the ACC. And while those conferences might be viewed as a little weaker, a one-loss conference champ coming out of any of those could be considered stronger with Michigan's lack of non-conference schedule strength stronger than them.
1: Exactly. So I think the way I like to kind of think about this is an undefeated conference champion will 100% of the time always make the playoff. And they kind of, the, the committee sets that precedent by having TCU at four, signaling if they went out, there is no way they're going to get jumped. And I think that's probably the right idea. If you go undefeated as a conference champion in a Power Five conference, you will make it. Um, and now there isn't any precedent for a one loss power five conference champion for not making the, the playoff. And so there are scenarios this year where we have a one loss conference champion getting snubbed out of the playoff with an undefeated Georgia an undefeated Ohio state or Michigan an undefeated TCU or then a one loss ACC, a one loss pac 12. So maybe two could get left out. Depending on how how it goes out, but uh, how do you how, how do you think about that, Joey? Do do all twelve and one conference champions deserve a spot in the playoff in this I, format?
0: I personally think that a conference championship should mean something, and if you're gonna look at the conference championships, that could be a kind of a first round playoff game in the four team format that we have right now. My thoughts right now that I I'm going to throw back at you right now is, so we're in our scenario right now, let's say Georgia, Ohio State, TCU go undefeated. We have which of the other five, so there's three one-loss Pac-12 teams right now, Oregon, USC, UCLA, and then there is TCU has a shot. Anybody else um, in the Pac or the Big 12 no, no, no Big Twelve. So they're the only, but a one loss. They could still go in as a one loss champion. And then in the ACC, we could see either Clemson or UNC. So there's six teams out of that that would be potentially competing with a one loss Tennessee or a one loss uh, Michigan. Yeah. That so which which of those teams do you think would get in over a one loss Michigan and which of them don't you?
1: So. This comes to my, my favorite team here, and it's one that you haven't mentioned yet. And it's the two loss LSU Tigers. Ugh. If if LSU wins out, I think they control their destiny. That is my take. And a an SEC champion has never been left out of the college football playoff. And it would be, again, unprecedented for that to happen. They would have just come off, presumably a conference champion win against the best team in the country, Georgia, um, I don't see how a two-loss LSU does not make it in, even with other one-loss conference champions, with the, ki- the, the the gauntlet that they would have to go through to get there, and especially with their form towards the end of half of the season.
0: So in in this scenario where Georgia has one loss, they're in. Ohio State undefeated, TCU undefeated. Yes. That fourth team you're saying could be LSU over a one-loss Oregon, a one-loss USC, a one-loss Clemson, a one-loss UNC. You think a a two-loss LSU champion beats all of them.
1: I do. I do. That best, that win that they would have over Georgia would be better than any win that any of those teams could possibly have. Uh, And again, kind of I test LSU's looked really good lately. And I I don't know. I, I don't think I could get over that. I think it would be interesting to see in that scenario... Where they they seed these teams because I would I would highly doubt they would have an LSU Georgia rematch at two and three so you'd probably look at you know Ohio State being one LSU being four Georgia being two TCU being three is how I would see it shaking out um, I think the again I would think that a one loss Georgia would be Locked in. Locked in regardless. Uh, I agree. I think we would need like a 2007 West Virginia-esque fallout for Georgia to not make it. They would need to lose two games. Yes. And I don't see that happening. I agree. So uh, I think we can pretty much lock Georgia in. And I think also when looking at Ohio State or Michigan, uh, one of those two will make it as well. I think those are the only two real uh, locks that we can make. So that's, you know... 8 teams fighting for those last two spots and that's where it gets kind of hairy.
0: Do you think that there is a scenario where we have I don't think TCU is going to end up with I think they're going to be a one-loss conference champ at least. Yeah. Or maybe not even a conference champ. Oh, no, it's not. They play Baylor. Not they uh, play Baylor. Yeah, yes. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, they have Texas Baylor and Iowa State. Iowa State. Yes, okay. Yes. Not Kansas. But still, yes. like that's a pretty tough part of the Big 12 and they I don't think they'll win the conference. I don't think they'll finish out the conference. So I would expect them to be eliminated. Do you think there's a way we see a four different conference champions without TCU? So that would mean an ACC champ and a Pac-12 champ?
1: That's, that's tough. So Georgia would have to win the SEC. Undefeated. Undefeated Georgia. And then an, the Big Ten team would make it. Uh, either OSU or Michigan. Uh, you're looking at a one-loss Pac-12 team, Oregon, USC, or UCLA. I think they would all, I think they would all make that as well. Um, and it gets iffy. Uh, Clemson had a very bad loss. They looked awful to Notre Dame this week. Uh, UNC also lost to Notre Dame, and assuming they would win out, would have a win over Clemson. But I don't know. I think the ACC is very weak. I think there is a chance a one-loss Tennessee could possibly— This is the, I think the only scenario where a one-loss conference champion does not make it is a 12-1 and UNC team against an 11-1 and Tennessee team or an 11-1 Ohio State team.
0: And I think that's the crux of it right there. Yeah. Is, is, could we see a one-loss SEC team get in over a one-loss conference champion? Because the last couple of years by now— there's been so much cannibalism in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 that we haven't really had to worry about them. And I think that'll happen in the Big 12. It could very likely happen with USC, UCLA playing each other. One of them will have to go on and play Oregon. So we could see the same thing happen again. However, it very well could come down to a one-loss or Pac-12 champ and a one-loss Tennessee. And if the champion does not get in, I will be up in arms.
1: You'd be I, up in arms. Yes,
0: I think the championship should matter, <laughs> and I think if either get rid of them and make the playoff bigger, which I don't think we need to make the playoff bigger either because I don't think the best team has ever been left out with four. I agree. I think most of the time there's th- usually three-ish teams that should be competing, and we usually know which two. But if the, I think the playoff is there for the third, maybe the fourth. And the only fourth seed that's really ever put up a fight was, of course, the first one. Ohio State had to go and mess things up for everything. But I don't – while I am excited for the potential of a – who is it, 12 right now would be – who would have to go north? Oh, nobody. There's no northern teams in the bottom. So, never mind. There would be no home games. Oh, Oregon. Okay. So, Mississippi would have to go to Oregon in January. That would be kind of fun. That's the one scenario that I'd like to see Ole Miss have to play in the north in January. But I don't really think that twelve teams are really competing for a championship at that point, and I really don't think more than four
1: should. Yeah. I agree. Uh <clears throat> to play a little devil's advocate here, you said you would be you'd be mad if a twelve and one conference champion would be let out. And I I like to think of this as you really want to get the best four teams in the playoff. And I think it's hard to argue at this point, even with Tennessee's very bad loss to Georgia or a potential uh, 11-1 Ole Miss or an 11-1 Ohio State, that those teams aren't better than a one-loss UNC. I think, objectively speaking, it's very hard to make that argument. And so now we're putting prestige on these conference championship games and not getting the four best teams. And I don't think the committee has really had... To make a decision like that yet it would be setting major precedent, uh, and I think that would be all what that's what the nation would be waiting on. They'd be abiding their time, waiting to see if the 12 and 1 conference champion would get in. Uh,
0: Especially the things, the way things are going with, it could be a just the Big Ten and the pe- or SEC going forward that could be dangerous and allow you know saying you better hop in while you can because these guys are going somewhere you can't. Now here is something, I'm just gonna throw this out there. One loss, undefeated Georgia, one loss Tennessee. Undefeated Michigan, one loss Ohio State. One loss TCU, one loss Oregon. So we have two potential one loss conference champs and we have a one loss Tennessee and a one loss Ohio State, who's our four? So obviously we have Ohio State, Georgia, who's three and four?
1: So three and four, you mean Georgia, Michigan. Yeah, Georgia, yes, Michigan, yes, yes.
0: because and, and, it may, like we said, it makes a difference. Ohio State's the one loss team, and Tennessee.
1: Yes, um, I think TCU's out. I think it's between Michigan or it's between Ohio State and Tennessee. That would be very tough. Well, then both of them could go. Both of them, yeah. So right. I'm saying or, Oregon
0: is a one loss Oregon, a better resume than either a one loss Ohio State or one loss champion Oregon, better than a one loss Ohio State or a
1: one loss Tennessee. Um, I think it would be interesting to see how that, that's a very good scenario. I like this because presumably Oregon would be four playing a one Georgia. And we've already seen that this year. I knew it was week one. It was not a close game. It was awful for Oregon. I think in this scenario, the committee would have to make Oregon three if they wanted them in to avoid that rematch. Uh, They've done this. They've done this before on purpose to avoid rematches. And so do I think Oregon is three above both of them? That's tough. That's very tough. I don't know. Um, but again, that would be two non-conference champions getting it over one. And uh, from the
0: same, like, their their conferences are both already represented. Yeah. So theoretically, we'd have Georgia against the uh, one loss from Ohio State, almost like yeah. a pool play. And then you get the, the A team and the B team playing each other. Yeah. Yeah. And so. this could be a
1: real nightmare. I think... It would be tough for them because both tennessee and oregon would have lost to georgia all right one happened very early in the year how is form uh going into this Uh, i think oregon in that scenario would edge out tennessee and especially because oregon down the stretch here would have some some pretty decent wins um they're still looking at beating a ranked washington team that hasn't looked great but they would also have to get through utah and then also have to win the pac-12 championship game um I think they would have. I think I think exactly what I said before is what would happen. It would be Georgia one, Michigan two, Oregon three, Ohio State four. Okay, and Tennessee that. gets left out. I think that's what you would have to do because otherwise we would be getting a rematch of Tennessee Georgia, um, and if it's Oregon and Ohio State both making it, there's a potential of having two rematches in Georgia versus Oregon and Michigan versus Ohio State. And so I think that's a, that's a huge nightmare scenario for the committee. And I think they get around it by keeping Tennessee out and avoiding all rematches together.
0: My other question then in that scenario, so we have, again, one loss Ohio State, Georgia and Michigan locked in. Is there a Pac-10, 12, Pac-12 team that doesn't get in over Georgia? And is there anybody that Ole Miss would get in with one loss still?
1: I think... A Georgia one loss will always make it. I think regardless, a one loss Georgia will always make it. The one loss Ole Miss is is interesting because they would. I mean, eleven and one Ole Miss team would be would be pretty crazy with only their loss to Tennessee. Correct. So Tennessee in this scenario is also fighting to get in. Tennessee has that head to head win over Ole Miss. I think Tennessee still gets in over Ole Miss in that scenario. Um, I think the, the more interesting thing to look at would be a two loss again, a two loss LSU beating Georgia. How does the committee deal with that? I think again, LSU would 100% make the playoff if they went out and beat Georgia. And Georgia would also, assuming they go 12 and one would make it. So you're you're locking in two SEC teams. Um, you could have an undefeated big big 10 team. And you could have an undefeated TCU. So, are you going to take an undefeated TCU over LSU? I don't know. I that that is the I think that's probably the worst case scenario. Them leaving out uh, an SEC champion. I think that's probably what they would have to do. Wow. I guess only scenario. I guess yeah, I take that back. The only scenario then is if that LSU gets left out is that right there, Georgia, one loss. Even even though. LSU had just beaten Georgia. There's no way Georgia's going to th- slip to five and, and get jumped by all those teams. That would be that would I think that's that's a that's a crazy scenario. Yeah. Um I think we are assuming here in a lot of these that TCU wins out. It is more fun if they lose. Because then we can get some of these these twelve and one conference champions, we can get some different colors in there. TCU has T- T- made the the college football playoff once. Correct or not? No, they, were, they haven't.
0: Were they five or six the first time on okay. Ohio State? That was the controversy. Yes. Because them and Baylor were both yes. one-loss conference champs. Yes. And Ohio State got in. Yes. Or one of them was a one-loss conference champ. The other one was undefeated yeah. going into the
1: game. Yeah. And so, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, there, there are legitimately 12 teams that can make this still. And I don't know if we can say that many other years. Uh, and it's not... Super unlikely. It's not, you know, miracles would I think need to happen for UNC to make it and for Clemson to make it. But outside of that, um, all these teams have a great shot. So.
0: So for mass chaos, we want LSU to win out, beat Georgia. We have a one loss Georgia, a two loss SEC champion, a one loss Tennessee. So those are three SEC viable teams. Yes. Then we want. Oh, Michigan to beat Ohio State because Michigan, a one-loss Ohio
1: State, is a better one-loss team than Michigan. I'll stop you there. This is the nightmare. This is a crazier scenario. Michigan beats Ohio State, loses in the Big Twelve, Big Ten championship game, so they both have one loss. Does, does the Big Ten not get anyone in? The, that's the scenario where no one gets in. I think if Ohio State goes 12-1 and and loses in the Big Ten championship game, they still probably make it.
0: Okay, so Michigan wins, then loses. They both have one loss. Yes. We have a one-loss conference champ from the Pac-12 and undefeated TCU.
1: Yeah, I think the, the one-loss Pac-12 team probably makes it over. over the Big Ten. Yeah, a 12-1 Oregon, USC, or UCLA would 100% get over.
0: But then you're assuming that you have two SEC teams. Yes, I think you You I think, think Tennessee gets, you think a tennis, I think lost Tennessee...
1: I think LSU, I think LSU in that scenario would be... No, a, let's say Georgia
0: goes unfeeded out. Oh, okay. So then we have one loss Tennessee against either one of them. Does that change anything? Or do you still think two SEC over... Because again, neither one's a conference champ. Who's your yeah. loss to? Mine's to the best team in the country. Yours is to Illinois and the other one's to
1: Ohio State. Yeah, I, th- I think the SEC teams probably make it. I do. I think they've showed, I hate to say... I'm using air quotes here, SEC bias. But I do think that two SEC teams would make it in that scenario.
0: So there is a scenario we have no Big Ten teams, and we have two in the top four right now. Yes. There is a scenario we have two. Is there, do we find one where we get three SEC teams, or is that just two? That
1: It's, it's that. It's Ohio State going probably 11-1, an ugly loss to Michigan at home. And then Michigan goes back and loses in the Big Ten championship game that the argument then is a one-loss Michigan who had just lost to Illinois, pretty bad loss. You know, Illinois is that awful, but they're not a great team. Uh it's that one-loss Michigan team versus a one-loss Tennessee, a one-loss Ole Miss and a two-loss SEC champion LSU. Do they get in over two of those teams?
0: Yeah, I think they do. You think they do? Yeah. And yeah. I think if uh I think it would be easier to keep three SEC teams if Ohio State mops the floor with Michigan, wins the Big Ten championship. They're in. Is it one loss with a really bad loss? No great out-of-conference schedule. Is a one-loss Michigan really viable against, again,
1: a two-loss CCU conference champ or a one-loss Tennessee? Two-loss LSU conference champ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if Michigan Michigan gets rocked by Ohio State, they're out. They're 100% out because they are no way – better than a one-loss Tennessee or a one-loss a one-loss Oregon comp. Like, I mean, they're not. They're just not better, um, both eye test-wise and I think just the committee looking at trying to find the best team. And I, I don't think Michigan's there.
0: And then so. the other thing that we kind of discussed that I was just shocked by your – and I'm starting to believe you the more I think about it. You don't think Clemson has any shot.
1: I do not think Clemson has any shot. I think they would need – a lot of the scenarios that we explained, the, the Big Ten, probably both Michigan and Ohio State, they would both need to have two losses. Um, but George is a lock. They would, need LSU, they would need TCU to lose. They would need probably Tennessee to lose again. They would probably need the Pac-12 to have everybody lose. There is a miracle scenario. There is a miracle scenario where Clemson and or UNC could make it, but they need a lot of two losses teams to be in front of them they need some
0: cannibalization to yes
1: happen. exactly uh and the way i'm looking at it because all of these teams are are good i don't it's very unlikely but there's a scenario i think clemson's losses is, is very bad to notre dame not saying notre dame is a bad team but they just looked awful and i think it's they've had a lot of close games recently they've they played syracuse pretty close um and they just haven't they haven't looked good their quarterbacks haven't looked good uh, their defense hasn't been great. I don't know. I don't think they're a very strong team. And it's, you know, sometimes you have an off year. It would be very tough. I think a lot of Clemson fans would be rightfully angry if they went 12-1 and and didn't make it. But I think it's hard to argue that they would be a top... They're a top-four team. And I think the committee putting them at... What, what are the... 12. 12. The committee putting them 12 right now is them saying, yeah, there's no real shot. Uh, all, Even, like, UCLA... Is in front. Every Pac-12 team is in front of them. Ole Miss is still in front of them with one loss. So if Ole Miss wins out, does Clemson jump them somehow? Do they jump an Alabama team? Do they? I I don't see them jumping them. Uh, This is the committee setting precedent for uh, what they believe, and I I mean minds can be changed. But if they still think Clemson had a shot at 12 and one, they would not be ranked 12 right now. They would probably be seven to eight. So. I think them being that low is the committee telling us, signaling, they're not going to make it at 12 and 1.
0: Well, I should have told everybody to pull up their whiteboard or something so they could follow up <laughs> this beforehand, and I hope we were clear enough. The oh, do you, I know that we have a couple exams next week, and I asked you to run some scenarios and stuff, so you took some valuable study time that I know you gave great effort to this. Do you have any other scenarios or notes you want to run through before we get to your fantasy college football um
1: i think the only th- i guess yeah it's it's the last question i wanted to ask is are USC UCLA and Oregon treated equal if they go 12 and 1 does a 12 does it matter which 12 and 1 pack 12 team comes out if assuming one of them goes 12 and 1 um i think we we had already talked about one scenario where Oregon it would be tough for them to be rematched against Georgia given that they lost very bad. Uh, I think USC probably going 12 and one would mean wins over Colorado. They would have to beat UCLA. They would have to beat a decent Notre Dame team and then a Pac-12 champion. And I think UCLA, which they're the lowest ranked now, but UCLA would still need to to pick up some big wins against USC. And... Uh, presumably Oregon in the Pac-12 champion. So in my opinion, any 12-1 Pac-12 champion is better than a one-win ACC champion.
0: I think the... I agree, 100%. Yes. But I think that Oregon being ranked the highest is wild.
1: I do too. Okay.
0: Because yes. I think, like you said, I think USC on their way out... I think USC's loss is the best. I think yep, playing in Utah is. at night and lo- and what, they lost in overtime or whatever? Yeah, by one? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Their defense looked bad, but... That's mm-hmm. not what the, the playoff wants points. Yeah. And that if you want a potent USC offense in there, plus, like you said, their win, their remaining schedule is tough. But I think that they are the best shot the Pac 10 has in a solid playoff team.
1: I agree. I agree. I think USC is a very good team. Uh, Oregon's come a long way. I would be scared about them having a first year head coach in a playoff game with preparation against Harbaugh or Day.
0: But well, USC does too, right now.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: Not first year total, but yeah, first, but
1: first year yeah. at yeah, uh, but he he has come on. Yeah, he has some history. He's yeah. been there. He's been there. Uh, so it is the in the last thing again. I've talked about LSU a lot here. Uh, I don't know what to make of LSU sp- splitting Oregon and USC. Uh, if if the committee wants to set a precedent, does this mean LSU makes it over a twelve and one? USC, but not over a 12 and one Oregon. Again, why is Oregon six? Why is it not USC? We don't know what they're talking about in those rooms, but you know, assuming here, uh, that's, that's what I see them signaling. Cause it's very possible. Georgia goes undefeated. Ohio state goes undefeated. TCU goes undefeated. All right. If LSU, you know, I guess LSU in that scenario would have one loss or another loss, but it's, it's complicated. I, I, I like to look into where they are putting these teams. There has to be a reason. They're not just throwing it on the wall. This is where I think they treat the top four
0: and the rest differently. I think what they do in their little room with all their power and making all of us think about this stuff, I think they say, who do we want to be? If the playoff were tomorrow, who do we think deserves it? They're going to go with the four undefeated teams. They rank them by the eye test. Then they rank everybody else by the eye test again. Because if we're strictly going on the eye test, as we've talked
1: about, yes, a, t- a Tennessee right now, an Oregon right now, an LSU right now, all over an undefeated TCU. Yes. TCU just has – you have – essentially, we are saying if TCU goes undefeated, we give them the benefit of the doubt. Yes. But –
0: Because they, they, yeah, yeah. they haven't proven otherwise. Yeah. However, if, I think they just do that top four, and then everybody else, they're going based on eye test, and they're in their own thing. So I think there is a hard, firm line at between four and five – where they just restart the count.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh but again, there has to be some type of uh some type of precedent that they're trying to set with the teams underneath. Uh and again, like them having Clemson at twelve was not a mistake. I know they came off a bad loss, but uh some of those other t- also those two losses, you know. Uh it's 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 tough to argue. I don't know. But there there's some precedent there. But I think that's it's almost, I think that's everything I wanted to hit. We hit a lot of scenarios, uh, a lot of madness. Uh, there's probably some even crazier scenarios where some two loss teams make it if there's a lot of upsets later in the year. And we've seen, we've seen upsets, you know, in rivalry week, anything can happen. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how this, this season ends out, shaving up to be a good one.
0: The, the last note is just to show the difference between a one loss, Michigan in a one-loss Ohio State against maybe a one-loss Tennessee or even a one-loss Pac-10-12 team, the next best win Michigan has is at 14 if they lose to Ohio State. At Penn right, State. At Penn State. So, I yeah. mean, that's – and they beat, they beat them pretty handily. It was at home. But yeah. that's – so they re- – I think that game in – do you know where it is this year between Ohio State and Michigan? It's
1: in – it's in Columbus.
0: Well, that that I think it means more for Michigan this year than oh, and it's Ohio State can't lose back to back, so that'll be a, a a fun one.
1: Yes. So I see. I see. I mean, getting into that game specifically, I see Ohio State. Oh yeah, Ohio State winning. Now we've had this conversation a single a single quarterback for uh, the Ohio State University, and we are kind of on an island here. We don't think he's very good.
0: I think he has all the talent, and I think if he starts off up 10 points, I don't think any team in the country could catch him. But I think him getting to that first 10-point lead, and it's been showing more and more and more as the season progressed, even against Notre Dame week one. Yes. They have to get their butt running the game going or get one big play to get things going, and then he doesn't miss. But he... Just feels the pressure, and you can see it in his eyes and his yeah. body language and everything just to start the game
1: yeah if if that game against michigan is is thirty two degrees fifteen mile an hour winds and a little and a little wet i don't i that is that's where I don't see Ohio State winning. If the weather's good, I think Ohio State crushes if they're forced to run the ball, uh Michigan's defense is good, and Michigan loves to run the ball so that's it's. I don't know if the weather is going to be a, a bigger have a bigger impact in any other game, uh, the rest of the season than that one. So it'll be interesting to see if if that comes true as well. I so. think
0: also they'll just have to stop Blake Quorum early. If they can keep him contained and get if they can stay close, because that's what Ohio State has done the last Urban Meyer era all the way through. They play teams close in the first half, start to pull away in the third quarter. As yeah. long as they don't go into halftime with. Uh, double-digit deficit, I think they are a team who can just make plays down the stretch.
1: I agree. I agree. But I agree.
0: don't think they like to play from behind. Yeah. All right. So now, Foxy was telling me about his friends. This was a while ago. He was talking to me about when he was going through his fan college football fantasy draft. And we all you know, peppered him with questions. Are you drafting players? Because... That could be difficult with so many, Are you because the guy, the running back from Jackson State probably is going to put up better numbers than a lot of teams in the country. So you got to be really locked in to be able to find that stuff. So what is,
1: uh, how does this work? So kind of unique, uh, following in the NFL players for 32 teams is hard. It's difficult, uh, but it's doable. Doing that for 120 teams is impossible. And especially because these guys aren't in the, they're not here all the time. They're freshmen, they go to the draft. And so we decided we want to draft teams. We take teams for the entire year and that's how we go about it. And it's not a free for all either. So when we were, you know, this is not a league that we use through any, any app or any website, this is something that we created when we were 15 years old, 10 years ago. We're in our 10th season. Uh, And we wrote down 25 pages of rules and we decided we're going to to pick teams and you are required to take one team from each Power Five conference. You have two flex teams from any other Power Five conference or or group conference team. Uh, And then every year, just to have some fun, if there's some storylines we wanna follow, if there's a conference we wanna watch, we have an eighth team rule. And so last year, for example, our eighth team rule was you have to pick someone from Conference USA. Sometimes we have had, you have to pick a team from the MAC. So that's how we get around this. There's eight eight uh, of us friends in this league. We each get eight teams. And so it's very cool. At the beginning of the year, uh, you kind of have to look at schedules. You have to look at rivalry games. You have to look way far ahead uh, because our scoring is such that you win a game, you get points, makes sense, all right? You, you go undefeated, you get a bonus. So there, there are incentives for teams that do well. If you win a bowl game, you get a bonus. Um, and especially now with the college football playoff, you get major points to, to pick the champion, which is extremely hard to do. Uh, this year in our draft, Tennessee went undrafted. They did not get picked up. And so going into last week against Georgia, we were looking at the number one team in the country, not on anyone's team. And so it's, it's very interesting, it's very fun. You kind of, you know, all of us, we follow the teams that we pick on Twitter, we, we follow them, we get into their fan base, we get to know their culture, and it's, it's a really good way to kind of experience more of college football than your little bubble.
0: And I was really thinking about like, oh, it'd be tough to draft, you know, if I get my SEC pick first, if I have the first overall, let's say I take Georgia, then I don't get any more SEC teams. And I was like, well, that would, you know, that's kind of tough. But at the same time, in fantasy football, if you draft a running back or a court, I mean, you only get so many of each anyway and those things. So it really does track quite well, and it sounds like a blast. The one thing I was just asking or I was thinking about, as some of these conferences begin to erode, are you worried about the Power 5 dynamic? And is, the, is it just going to be more flex teams or maybe – two from two or three big conferences and so on. And I just, you know, any forethought on that matter?
1: Yeah, so this is this has definitely been talked about and we have a pretty robust group chat. We're talking every day. When conference realignment things come up, we are constantly talking about what are we gonna do? Because this is all going to change on us very quickly. Uh, and so I think you mentioned, you had a great idea. You mentioned one of the things that we think we'll have to do when the Big 10 and the SEC you know, have these conglomerate conferences. We might have to say you take two teams from each conference of of those. So that's four of your eight teams. You pick two Big Ten teams or two Big uh, or two SEC teams. So that is one way to go about it. Uh, I think including more flexes is tough. And seeing how this goes, if we really only have two power conferences, we might have to go to three in each of the conferences and then do two flex picks. So it's it's been talked about. It's going to get a little messy. It's very clean now. It makes sense for us to have the rules as they are. But as as this conference realignment happens, it's going to be tough. And I think it's going to even be more tough because when we get to 12 teams in a playoff, presumably a lot of Power 5 teams are going to make the playoff. That might make a flex pick a lot more worthwhile. You know, there's strategy here. If you think that... uh a UCF is gonna go undefeated. They will almost certainly make the playoff. That's huge bonus points. Do you take them in the first or second round, even if you don't think they're gonna win the national championship? So there's all of these hedging bets and, and trying to figure out. And over the 10 years, we've had some, some pretty cool scenarios. I know last year, uh, just to, to give an example, came down to the last game. I had Alabama, the guy in second had Georgia. I was up by X amount of points, like let's say 100 points, but the national champion gets 125. So I had you know, I had, over the course of the season I had allotted a hundred point lead, but it came down to that game and my heart got ripped out because Alabama lost.
0: <laughs> so my two one suggestion. Yes. Um, to if it comes to this, just so throwing it out there, one team in you have to do one Big Ten East, one Big Ten West, one SC. East, one SEC West, and then one flex for both. That could be a way to get, if it comes down to two and you yeah. want to do three each. And then the other thing that I wanted to ask is how often is picking the champion determined the winner of the league?
1: I would say pretty often. Okay. Um, I don't know the exact numbers. There are definitely years where, uh, I remember one year it was uh, Notre Dame- Someone had all three of the playoff teams, but not the champion. And they they won that year, even though they didn't have the champion. Uh, And when you have some of these teams, I know Washington one year made it. uh, Some of these kind of fringe picks that get taken in the sixth, seventh round, you don't expect them to make it that far. Um, Again, like I said this year, Tennessee wasn't even drafted. So uh, there are definitely ways to get around not having the champion. But I think for the most part, uh, having the champion has meant you won the league. Okay, And I should say also, uh, another big source of points is the Heisman winner. And so over the years, we've kind of added rules to make things more interesting. So if you think, for example, last year, like Bryce Young, a shoe in for Heisman going into the year. uh, So, you know, that's even more of a reason for me to take Alabama. I had the first pick. I took Alabama first, you know. So some years you might have a Heisman favorite who doesn't have a great team around them. We've seen this with Lamar Jackson. We've seen this with Robert Griffin III where Heisman winners don't necessarily have to be on a good team, but it can be a big source of points. So uh, a lot to think about. We have spreadsheets. We have so much going on before we have our draft. It's, it's, it's pretty cool.
0: That does sound like a blast. And then I'll, I'll leave it us with two more questions. One, who is your Heisman that who's your most likely not who do you think deserves it right now?
1: Who do you think will be the Heisman and who do you think will be our Final Four teams? So this is tough. Heisman, a little up in the air. I really like Nick's. He has looked so good. If Oregon wins out, I didn't say if, if if Oregon wins out, they will. Uh, I think he will win it. Uh-huh. Even
0: with an undefeated Ohio State, you think Bo Nix beats out CJ
1: Stroud? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think he is. I think, he, and this is a bi- a little bias. I actually, I don't think that he would win. I would, okay. I think he deserves to win. Cause I yes. don't think CJ okay. Stroud is very good. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. I think
0: C, it's CJ Stroud's to lose, but I don't think he's yeah. the best player in the country.
1: If, if Michigan wins out, it's probably Corum. Okay. Uh, it is very deterministic on who wins. Yes. Uh, oh, it's, so it's not, yeah. most of the time I would have, before Saturday I would have said hooker. So, okay. uh, it's very deterministic. It's hard to say. Um, but I would I like Bo Nix. I've watched I've watched a lot of Oregon's games. He's coming into his own this year. He's feeling comfortable. He's putting up massive numbers. Uh, we really don't. This is one of the years we don't have a really big front runner or even two. Uh, it's kind of up in the air. Like I said, whoever ends up winning out and having a good final three to four weeks here will probably end up getting the Heisman. It's going to be results based. So
0: I agree, and yes. I think. Now, I know Stetson Bennett probably isn't the best player in the country and that whole Georgia team, there's probably a lot of other guys that could deserve yeah. it, but he looked I don't I haven't watched a lot of Georgia. I just assumed to chalk it up to a win. I watched the Tennessee one cuz I was hoping it would be a game. He looked stellar. He was throwing freaking missiles yeah. and put it in mm-hmm. tight windows. There were some that were dropped that I don't know how they got through some guy. You know, they, were, they would have been hard catches because five guys went had shots at the ball but it always got where it needed to be. I think he suffers a little bit from the thing that, you know, it took Alabama a long time to get their first Heisman going just because they always have such a good team around them. But yes, I agree. I think it's CJ or the winner of Michigan Ohio State. Their offensive course will probably get it. Yes. And let, yeah. So, yeah. I think it does come down to that.
1: Yeah, it's very deterministic. Very very cool stat that, that I saw about Bennett. He is the same age, a few months apart, as which prolific NFL quarterback who's been in the league for years? Oh, man. I, I guess
0: years. Uh, not I mean, this is Burrow's third year. Is Lamar Jackson. They are oh, wow. a,
1: They are only a few months apart. I think it's like six months. They're the same age. I think this is Lamar's fourth year. And so... Bennett's obviously had took his COVID year. He's 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 been around a while. Maybe he, you know, uh, was a year older coming into college. Who knows? I know Lamar was young uh, for his class, but just looking at them, once playing at Georgia, college football, doing crazy stuff. Lamar is lighting up. Has Already lighting having,
0: up. as an MVP.
1: Yeah. So just a, a cool a cool stat here that.
0: Uh, yeah, this is year four for him. that. Is wild.
1: It is. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah.
0: And then do you would you like to share your your final four as you predict
1: my final four probably I'm, I'm gonna go georgia ohio state usc and tcu i and think tcu runs the table i think tcu runs the table and i think that's i wow. think that's a very fun scenario too usc get in there tcu gets in there um i think i think both of those teams could uh really give ohio state a run for their money i do tcu's offense they they look very they're a very prolific offense and I think that would be a very fun game just fireworks you know 40, 40 point games so uh, that's that's like my dream scenario I, I would really enjoy that uh, the Trojans I
0: think the Trojans and Georgia would be very similar to who's USC's coach and blanking on his name right now Riley yes Lincoln Riley his team against Alabama a couple of years ago with Kyler Murray yes. where they went out there and they scored like 60 points and lost yes. by 80 still. I think that would be a very similar game where Yeah. So, yeah, that could be lots of points. I yeah. like that mm-hmm. matchup.
1: Mm-hmm. And are- I think I think Georgia will be back to I think they're going to win out and I think they're going to be They are this year. They are a wagon and he he's making something crazy down there. They're going to they're going to go on a run here these next few years. I really think so.
0: Times are changing.
1: Yeah, they are. They Thanks are. for coming on, Foxy. Of course. Anytime. Ah! have got to
0: be kidding me! No! No! no. no. Ah! Welcome, Ryan Alexander, our two-for-one. We just got rid of Foxy. Now, Ryan is here, and we're going to start off with his college picks. Ryan and I are recording a little early. This is unusual. Usually, we're an afternoon crew, but... 7 a.m. I don't, I don't think, I didn't know Ryan had been up before 7 a.m. and since maybe high school? <laughs>
2: no, bro. I'm always up this early. Just I'm just quiet in the mornings, you know? And I'm way more awake in the afternoon. That's why I prefer doing the podcast then. <laughs>
0: but it's all good. How are you doing, Joey? I am doing swell. So you had a tough week last week, and I have some just notes on that. You went 0-3. You picked – you actually went 6-0 and straight up last week. Now, against the spread, you went 0-3 in NFL games. You picked two 3.5-point spreads and one 5-point spread. Every single game was three points. Ended up being that way. Wow. So it wasn't – it wasn't, you know. It was, I didn't have much luck. Yeah, I think that – and like we talked about earlier, that that goes against the trend of there weren't – there haven't been very many actual covers this year. It's usually been a winner straight up one way or the other. So, very tough week Um, for you. Yeah, very. Very, very. Even in the college game, the only one who didn't cover was North Carolina last week, but they still won. So, you just literally – They only won by three, didn't
2: they, I think, against Virginia? Yes,
0: so all of your losers were – Three point winners actually.
2: Oh, jeez. So I went two, two and four.
0: That's yeah, two and four last week. Twenty two and twenty overall, leaving you at fifty three percent, fifty two percent. And this week, your first pick in the college game is Illinois six and a half over Purdue. Illinois,
2: I know they. Uh, I think they were five and zero. Oh say they were like off to a 5-0 or 6-0 start and I saw that and I was like Illinois football that's interesting I don't ever remember them being good in our lifetime but and I I've watched Purdue many times in my life and besides the one time they beat Ohio State they have always lost a lot of points no matter who they're playing so yep I'm taking the uh, Illinois fighting what are they the Illini
0: or something yes sir
2: <laughs> yes the Illinois fighting
0: line nine uh, The only thing the Big Ten is so unpredictable, especially over there in the west. I mean, Purdue's in the east and they're a pretty usually solid team that gets overlooked. I mean, Michigan State was what the fourth best team in the east. They just destroyed Illinois and mm-hmm. that's so that's true. that's what makes me nervous about that one.
2: That's true. That's true. We'll will we'll, we'll see how that goes.
0: I am hoping that LSU, your second pick, destroys Arkansas. You have them by three, and that would make things I think, fun. I think
2: they'll win by way more than three.
0: Yeah, I think LSU is just a good team now.
2: I I think, you know, a lot of those teams come off a big win. Like, LSU obviously just came off of from Bama, and they're like, not as into the next game, but I feel like LSU is going to be like, that's, Beating Bama is gonna like hype them up because obviously they already have what one or two losses. So I think that's gonna hype them up to make them believe they could still make the uh,
0: playoffs. Well, Brian Kelly teams have never lost after a big win. Did you know that?
2: Have never lost after because he doesn't have it any big yes, wins. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I knew. I know you. I know you <laughs> and Matt hate full our game.
0: I don't Brian hate Kelly him. Chaps. I just know he hasn't had any big wins so. <laughs>
2: Very true, but that was his biggest one of his career.
0: Yes, there yes, it was. So we'll see. I got it. he'll set his precedent going forward.
2: Hey, don't talk to SEC Brian Kelly. He's built different.
0: He has he talks a little different himself down there. <laughs> and then finally, we're staying in the South with Tennessee, twenty-one against Missouri, and I. This is one of those games that I love. I think this is a great pick.
2: Yeah, I'm just taking it because they're pissed off after being number one, ranked number one for four, four days, and then they just looked absolutely. But that Georgia just looked like men, and they were boys, so they're probably just gonna take their anger out of Missouri and kick their asses. My guess.
0: <laughs> I hope so because again, this is, I, w- I just want maximum chaos, and I think really good Tennessee and LSU teams make it harder for the committee to make their choices. Very true. Very true. As far as the NFL, where we just need to cover, really, because we're picking the right teams, mm-hmm. Atlanta, who they have – they lost their guard, Elijah Wilkinson, with an undisclosed knee issue a couple weeks ago. Then last week, their center moved over to guard Matt Hennessy, and now he's ruled out. I'm guessing it's a PCL or an MCL injury with about four weeks. They did get Cordero, Cordero Patterson back, and then Carolina is missing a few starters. They're pretty beat up, but they're bad, and then they have decided with that they will be sticking with P.J. Walker.
2: Yeah, um, pretty, it's, when, you, when you text me about my picks every week, I usually go to the Carolina game first, and yeah. if it's... Anything under ten, usually, if they're like plus anything under ten, I'm going the other team to cover because Baker Mayfield plays for that team, and we don't like Carolina.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think yeah, they they're all there's my notes for them is they have some injuries, but I want to talk about it because they're bad. So
2: I agree. Did you last week? I think was the trade deadline week. And did you see the offers they got for that Brian Burns? <laughs> they yeah. got like, I think someone offered him three first-round picks. And they said no. I was
0: like, hey, it was what the, the hell? It was, <laughs> it was the Rams. They were just making sure. They, they said, no, there's no way you actually have any first-round picks left. So we're just – this it's like <laughs> fake money. No. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. You have what, – what, we're going to get him in 15 years? Yeah. Well, we're going to hold on to this guy.
2: That's, that's also true. That's also true. <laughs>
0: So, Atlanta by three is the first one. And then we have... Marcus
2: Mariota, we trust.
0: I, yeah, I, th- I thought that was a strange line, too, because of... I mean, I think Atlanta... Is that the one that P.J. Walker had the sick touchdown late in the game? Was that Atlanta? The first time? Um, oof, I couldn't tell you. Okay, well the second game here we have minnesota plus three at buffalo and i love this one too i think this was a great line find by you if you got them by especially if you get it before potentially i need
2: to start crediting what um like like sport books i'm looking at before i tell you i usually look at the same one i can't remember what it's called off the top of my head right now because i look at it uh, the computer at work every day and I have it saved but I need to text you that website just <laughs> I don't know how to credit it but yeah I like that pick a lot too plus I think they're saying Josh Allen's like kind of questionable and banged
0: up yeah he so he twisted his elbow his throwing elbow he did something similar in 2018 and missed four weeks so that's the UCL it's like the Tommy John it's the similar it's on if you're Palm is up. It's on the inside of your elbow there, and it it takes a lot of force on that torque. Now, the next play, he did throw the ball 70 yards downfield, but he's also Josh Allen, so he could probably do that without an arm. And then um, they also have cornerback Tredavious White. is still working his way back, so they might get him back, but Allen is probably going the other way. And then they have one of their defensive ends, Greg Russo, has a high ankle sprain. On Minnesota's side, Cam Dansler Sr. is a long shot to play with a sprained ankle, according to their coach. And then wide receiver Jalen Naylor is coming off of an injury who did not play against the Commanders. So that's the injury thing. But I think, you know, that whole line stands on whether or not Josh Allen is in uniform on Sunday.
2: Yes, sir. I agree. I agree.
0: And then finally we have another again great line this this is another one where i so i i think right now you see in that line the plus 3 for minnesota means is like one did you see the kirk stuff i think winning cures everything there mm-hmm. yeah so i think yeah. josh allen they they think josh allen's going to play at this point for Denver at Tennessee, you have Tennessee at home, only two and a half.
2: Minus two and a half against Denver. Yeah. So yeah. For whatever reason, that it seems like the sports books love Denver, and I have no clue why. I mean, I'm not even sure what their record is, but every time I watch them, I like rather go to sleep and get more hours of sleep because they bore the hell out of me, and I just don't think they're that good of a football team. And Russell Wilson doesn't look like he. Well, I don't think Russell Wilson has it anymore.
0: There you go, NFL. If you want Ryan to keep getting up early, you just keep putting Russ at primetime games and oh, he'll get those extra Zs. Twice, bro. I think they had a primetime game the first four weeks. Yeah, and I think they still have one more later this year. or the, you know, With flex scheduling they might be able to push him out, but geez. God, I'm
2: gonna, football is going to give me the best sleep of my life.
0: <laughs> well, Denver is like, it, you know, it's also in Tennessee. I think that defense is really tough, but Denver is going to be without their center with a sprained groin, and their tackle, Cam Fleming, who is out with a quad contusion. And then the interesting thing for Tennessee is Ryan Tannehill, he's been starting to take some reps at practice, and while Malik Willis didn't throw a touchdown or an interception against the Chiefs, he had a good first half and a really, really, really bad second half. So is does he give he hasn't really shown the ability to make plays which would be the upside to keeping him in there over Tannehill but they really haven't let him try so I really think they have to allow him to make some mistakes to see as they probably win the AFC South if it's going to be worth it to have him in the playoffs over Tannehill.
2: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think they're just kind of trying to slowly bring him in, kind of. Like you said, they're not really letting him do too much uh, when it comes to trying to make a somewhat big play. But obviously your rookie that you kind of took a shot on and are kind of hoping he's the next uh, franchise quarterback after, I don't know, maybe this year, next year after Tannehill. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think for the playoffs, I will go Tannehill. He's just a veteran. He's been there. I mean, it's not, not that he's played well in the playoffs, but he's been there. And then, yeah, just have Malik. Uh, or it's Malik, right? Yeah. That's his name? Yeah, have Malik. Uh, Yeah, just mentor behind him, learn from him, and get ready to go. Because I think he'll be playing with this, pretty much the same Tennessee team. Uh, when it's his time to get the starting job.
0: I agree. I agree 100%. So that is your NFL picks for the week. And then my final question for you will be, the Browns right now are 3-5. and five. Yes, sir. They are not too far out of it because really no team is unless, you know, there's – Every, everybody still has a road to the playoffs, it seems, at this point, halfway through the season, which usually doesn't happen. But mm-hmm. they play at Miami, at Buffalo, and then home against the Bucks before they get Deshaun Watson back and potentially turn things around. So what do you think their record is going into that game?
2: What do I think their record is going into Deshaun's first game? Yes. And they got three more games. You just said yes. They're at Miami. Five. Um. Okay. So I'm gonna give you what I think their record will be, and I'm gonna give you what I think their record needs to be to have a shot at the playoffs. I think their record's gonna be three and five. So I think they're gonna be four and seven when they get Deshaun back. But I think they need to be five and six if they want to shot the playoffs or at least a shot at the AFC North because I don't know it's gonna be hard to get a wild card spot with the, the AFC West and the
0: uh the East right well, now too the Dolphins and Jets so you can really help yourself out if you knock the Dolphins down a peg here but I don't see that happening
2: yeah it's gonna be such a tough game the Dolphins I didn't see them being this good but I mean 2 a.m., Jalen, those Bama boys are killing it in the NFL this year, huh?
0: Yes, yes, they are.
2: It's kind of fun to watch, too, I can't even lie. I've never really even been a big fan of those two, but they're fun to watch.
0: I love Jalen Waddle's touchdown celebration, his little Waddle.
2: (laughs) You like the little Waddle? Him and Tyree kill, man. That's uh, that's something to watch for sure.
0: Yes, they are fast.
2: (laughs) But, yeah, hopefully, oh, man, five and six... To get the song back would be pretty freaking nice, Joe.
0: I, yeah. Well, I think, I think the Dolphins are a loss. I think Josh Allen might miss some time. I think that could be a win, and then it could come down to Tom Brady on November twenty seventh, right after Thanksgiving. I think he just doesn't lose uh, to the Browns. I think that's his thing. So if you can if you can do it this year, I think that's the one.
2: I guess yeah, I'm just hoping for one win out of these next three cuz it's three three games of hell right here.
0: I think if Josh Allen, I don't think the Bills are very much without Josh Allen.
2: Oh no, I mean if he misses then definitely I expect us to win that
0: game. So I I I would predict loss win and I think Josh Allen will miss some time, you know, I don't know the severity and they've been they've been keeping it under wraps and obviously they'll try to get him back as quickly as possible, but he and you know maybe a couple losses would fire up that Bills team. They look a little accidental sometimes, but I think it'll all come down to that last game at home against the Bucks.
2: I agree. I agree. Go Browns. Two and one. Let's get it.
0: All right, Ryan. <laughs> well, thank you for dropping in again. Hopefully, we you can afford I guess one more two and four week, and then we're back to five hundred. But if I will give you a compliment, it is that everybody i've been listening to and i listen to quite a few other podcasts and radio shows and such i haven't found one person who is above 500 on the year but you so at least you are in the plus <laughs>
2: well there we go i'll take i'll take that joey thank you uh, I, I keep uh I, I still feel like i haven't had a great week but i mean i i can't complain too much about below 500 but i'm hoping for a big like at least a five on one week how's that sound
0: that sounds fantastic to me. You did have one five in one week early in the year, but that was the one you missed, so you didn't get to talk about it and brag. But
2: Oh, that's right. All right, well, I need bragging rights next week. <laughs> All right.
0: Sounds good, man. Thank you.
2: All right, thank you, Joey.
0: To continue our discussion of the NFL by my lonesome, we'll start off with Seattle, who heads to Tampa Bay, who we just talked about. Actually, it's a home game for Tampa Bay, but it is in Germany. So the Bucks are favored in it despite Seattle being a much better team thus far through the season. Seattle will have Marquise Goodwin, their wide receiver, out with a groin injury, and their linebacker, Daryl Taylor, who is out with a groin injury as well. So remember that ductus, adductus longus is that one. It's not quite quite as big as the adductor magnus but it's longer and covers more area and just remember those long longer muscles, thinner muscles tend to be pulled a little bit more. They also have safety Joey Blount out with a quad injury. So quad injuries we've been talking about there are a couple different ways that you can hurt your quad but usually it's just a contusion so you just get you know football you run at people facing forward usually take a helmet or something to that quadriceps area. And that's one of the places they teach to tackle. So those areas take a lot of abuse. They also have backup linebacker Colin Glaspia. He's having knee surgery and his season's over. They haven't disclosed what kind of knee surgery it is. They did say it wasn't as bad as originally thought. So it may have been an ACL and not everything else. But it is a season-ending injury. So I think the ACL will be involved. For Tampa Bay, no new real injuries. They are beat up, and they even may get a healthy Cam Brait back who had some whiplash, he had a neck sprain. And in those uh, neck sprain cases, one of the big things to look out for are alar ligament sprains. And that, so in your spine, your cervical neck, the Atlas, which he's a Greek character who holds up the world, so he or that first spine bone the c1 cervical spinal bone one is called the atlas because it holds up your head your world number two is the axis the axis is what it spins on which makes sense and the alar ligament is the first thing that gets injured in a whiplash injury these alar ligaments go from the Access to your occipital condyles on the back of your head. So the occipital lobe in your brain is in the back and it helps with vision. That's what it's kind of famous for. And you can feel there's little bony bumps in the bottom of your skull where a lot of things attach, including these alar ligaments. They're very thin. And, you know, your head snaps back. That puts a lot of strain on those ligaments. But there are a lot of other things going on in the neck. Like we've all twisted our head too fast or the, the wrong way or woke up and had had slept the wrong way. So there's just a lot of tiny little muscles in there that kind of hold all of the individual vertebrae together and help control that very important head movement up top. Seattle, I think will win this game, but you know it's the first one in Germany and I don't think Tom Brady expects to lose in more than one continent. Cleveland is going to Miami, as we kind of talked about with Ryan. Wyatt Teller, he is he missed his own wife's baby shower, I guess his baby shower, to stay in Cleveland and rehab, and he should be able to play from his calf injury. Denzel Ward is also coming back with ribs. JOK and David Njoku, knee and ankle respectively, we have not been practicing. So this is about the timeline when they said J- Njoku could come back, and they could really use JOK because their whole linebacking core is falling apart. And Miami, at home, no new injuries. They're just going to keep rolling, so I expect them to take care of business in Miami, especially when it's going to be pretty chilly up here, up north, and then they got to fly down there. New Orleans is going to Pittsburgh, so the opposite and Jarvis Landry has a potential to play with his ankle, but, you know, they all kind of fall apart. They should use Taysom Hill more in their offense because it has looked very, very stagnant the last couple of games and might as well. That makes something happen usually. The more touches, I wonder if there's a stat. I haven't found it, but the more touches he has, and my, the better my fantasy team and the Saints usually do. Center Eric McCoy was also in a walking boot, so he should be okay. That was something we had in college that no matter what injury you had, you just walked around in a walking boot, and then you'd be able to play on Saturday. So Eric McCoy should be ready to go by Sunday. And then Mark Ingram is still dealing with his grade 2 MCL sprain and should probably not be out. Another reason to give Taysom Hill the ball. They tried running back Jaquan Hardy from – tiffin to replace mark ingram so that was kind of cool he did not so they went with somebody else and then marshawn Lattimore is rehabbing his ab injury and that's dangerous if it's a contact injury because the spleen is a pretty delicate structure on the left side that takes a lot of abuse in those types of injuries but usually it's just an ab strain and there's again lots of muscles going on there the Rectus abdominis actually goes all the way down from your pubis to your the bottom of your rib cage. So it covers a lot of area again. It's broken up, so that way it's pretty strong. It's not all one thing, but it is it does cover a lot of area and is responsible for keeping a lot of things healthy, while also it has the job or it's assisted by obliques, internal, external, and then there's a transverse and Between those, they all have the job of just keeping that core because there's no bones in that area, and there's a lot of important stuff in there. We're looking at T.J. Watt potentially being able to come back for the Steelers. Their kicker, Chris Boswell, did not practice with a groin injury, and that is the end of notable injuries for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they're usually pretty good when they have T.J. Watt. So I think in Pittsburgh, that's a good time for Pittsburgh to get back on the horse. Detroit heads to Chicago to try to avoid their second conference loss in a row, which probably hasn't happened in a long time. All of the Lions are questionable in this game. They have a big divisional game. And Malcolm Rodriguez is potentially out with a left elbow sprain that he was trying to tackle and got it caught going the wrong way, so probably a hyperextension. Uh, I think he should be able to play through it if they get him the proper bracing equipment, and it depends on the swelling and pain level and all of that too. It's also a good spot for – oh, that. my bad. I was thinking of the Packers. Yeah, all the Lions are injured, and Malcolm plays for the Lions, not the Packers. So This is a good spot for Fields to impress after he just beat – Aaron Rodgers to kind of keep that offense going and there's no really new injuries for them so they're hosting a dome team in Chicago later in the year with a healthy team I like the Bears to keep rolling I think Justin Fields is an infectious guy who he's been able to stay positive despite some of the challenges he said earlier in this year. Houston is going to the Giants, where Brandon Cooks is refusing to practice, claiming wrist, but he's had some contract disputes, so he just probably will not play this week. Coming off the long week, they have no new large injuries, but a few players enjoyed some rest, including wide receiver Nico Collins and defensive tackle Malik Collins, so they should have those guys back and ready to go since they haven't played for a while. Tight end Dan Bellinger for the Giants. He got hurt a couple weeks ago before their bye week against the Jaguars, but he will be missing, I would assume, the remainder of the season with an eye socket fracture. Now, we usually call this a blowout fracture. It's where pressure is applied to that eye area, and the pressure pushes through the ethmoid and maxillary bones, which make up the floor of that orbital structure. So your eye sits in... Your head and all of a lot of bones in there the ethmoid, the frontal bone, there's a little lacrimal bone in there, you have the sphenoid bone, they're all just kind of coming together to create that little hole for the eye to sit in. Well, some of those bones are a little thinner and weaker, and those happen to be the maxillary, which is your cheekbone, and then ethmoid, which is back and interior or medial so it's like where your nose kind of right above your nose kind of and between those two they're pretty thin and that's usually what goes in these situations so I looked up the surgery on how it goes and so they'll open they'll take his eyelid pull it down and they will pretty much remove the skin from the eyelid from everything else that it touches so that way they can pull it way 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 down and then the whole surgery is done th- from right there they don't because they can't do a whole lot messing with the eye they want to protect the eye so they just move your eyelid way way down and then from there they use a bone graft they get all the, all the other de- debris out and then they get a bone graft i assume they figure out the size and shape of the bone graft with a an mri of some sort and they used to do a lot of auto grafting which is where they take it from yourself they'd go up to your skull and take some skull bone but because it's so thick it'll grow back a little thicker and it'll push your eye up and that causes vision issues and such so they would try to avoid that and now they've been doing a lot of allograft from a donor of some sort usually an a cadaver of some sort and then they suture so you know all this is really tiny they pull it out one way they put the sutures in another way they're just like little staples they have to be able to put in there and twist around it's like an auto stapler that just kind of drills through the bone for you and then they leave a or they leave a fluted drain in there so because they have to make sure that there's no hematoma or anything fluid of any sort building up behind the eye to prevent compression of the ocular nerve or any of the veins and arteries that would feed that so that to maintain that eyesight so humans are very visual animals and i thought that that was i didn't know how that surgery we talked about it in class how that happens and how to diagnose it but i hadn't learned how that surgery goes so that was pretty interesting to look at and you know eye stuff gives me a little bit of the willies so that was kind of a wild one and that would be performed by a maxo facialary facialary something Um, plastic surgeon and then the Giants will also be without cornerback Aaron Robinson again not disclosed but most likely out for the rest of the year so guessing either an ACL or a bad meniscus of some sorts Jacksonville is going to Kansas City where this is just fun I was I had an NFL thing of all the teams around my room and they're in alphabetical order and Jacksonville, Kansas City are next to each other. So while they're not next to each other geographically. They are alphabetically. Kansas City will be without Michael Hardman with an ab strain as well. He's my favorite chief, so it's a bummer that I'll be having to watch the Jaguars get destroyed by the Chiefs and still not have my favorite chief out there. And then my favorite Jaguar, Rayshon Jenkins, number two, is out with a concussion as well. So... It'll be a little bit less entertaining for me than I think it would have otherwise been, not that I think it will be anyway. Moving on. Indianapolis is going to Las Vegas, where Indianapolis' running back room is in shambles. Jonathan Taylor and Deion Jackson, ankle and knee respectively, didn't practice on Wednesday. And they have a couple of guys beat up with tight ends, Mo Ali Cox and Jelani Woods, not having participated in practice either. They also have linebacker, Divine Divine Diablo or Divine Diablo, which is kind of a cool name for a football player. You know, Divine being more I guess holy and Diablo being the devil. So I thought that was a funny name. But he has a forearm fracture, most likely a Fouch injury, which we have talked about. That's a fully outstretched over rotation stretched hand injury. So. Remember, you go out, you're trying to catch yourself on a fall, you stick your arm out, it overloads a lot of pressure onto that thinner eminence where your thumb is, and then that radial, that radius injury, which is pretty small, pretty thin. So it's usually a distal radial break, and that's what I expect him to have had. And then there's also Hunter Renfro and... Waller were limited at practice with hamstring injuries for the Raiders, but they're really bad, and I think the Colts are really bad too. We'll see if Jeff Saturday, he claims that he can lead men. He actually had a pretty cool quote that said he went on this little rant and said, I don't know if I'm any good, and we'll find out here, but I have no worries about being able to lead men. I know how football works. I've been around it my whole life. I've won a Super Bowl. I've been there twice. I've just been around GMs and coaches, and I've seen how guys, quarterbacks, and defensive linemen prepare. So, you know, he's fired up. He's, I think it's either going to go – I don't think he's going to be mediocre. I don't think – you know, who knows if he's a guy that they'll let figure things out, but I don't think I would. And then Dallas heads to Green Bay where Noah Brown and Zeke with foot and knee, respectively, are limited – Zeke said he needs more reps to see if he'll be okay, so could see more of Tony Pollard this week in Green Bay, where, again, everybody is questionable for the Packers. They are going to be without Rashawn Gary, who tore his ACL, and um, er, Daubs is going to be out four to six weeks with an ankle, but everybody else, Bakhtiari, who knows why, Devondre Campbell with his knee, Eric Stokes with his ankle, Sammy Watkins a knee, Lazard shoulder, Rodgers who, again, missed practice this week with a thumb. All of them are doubtful or questionable right now. I assume Rodgers plays, and I get bet they get a couple of those guys back. But they are – oh, and Aaron Jones with an ankle. So that, that whole team is just falling apart a little bit. I saw that they also were without – or um, they had – AJ Dillon was tackled at the 1-yard line twice last week. So, that's a tough fantasy thing and when you lose to the Lions without really scoring a touchdown or only one, that's not the way to go. The Chargers get the or the Niners get the other Los Angeles team in the Chargers, and the Chargers Dustin Hopkins kicker is still dealing with a hamstring injury. And then Keenan Allen's hamstring and Mike Williams' ankle, they'll probably both be out again this week. And then the Niners have a couple guys beat up, but that's how they play football, man. And they are no new real injuries. So we'll be able to see if this offense can get things going again. They get Debo going. He's a little healthier than he was. And I expect the Niners to take care of business in what was candlestick. Washington is going to philadelphia for a rivalry game there's nobody new for washington or philly this is both teams are pretty healthy and you know as we talked about with kirk cousins and the vikings winning cures all healthy teams tend to win and winning teams tend to be healthy i don't know what the causation versus correlation is or which one's the chicken and which one's the egg but it sure does help to win if you're healthy, and I think it's a, you know, reverse psychologically. It's a lot easier to be healthy when you're winning. One thing I saw was the longest yardage touchdown of every team this year. It kind of goes along with their records in a loose correlation. So our longest touchdown this year was a 98-yard touchdown against the Steelers by Buffalo and then we have Baltimore with a 79 yarder, the Rams, Commanders, Falcons, Carolina and Houston all have 75 yarders and while those aren't all great teams, they have some overachievers in that group. Yeah, that's actually a very poor that goes against my argument hugely. But then we have Seattle at 74, the Jets at 76 or 66, the Giants at 65. Uh, Kansas City's longest touchdown is only 45, so maybe it doesn't. But just those first couple I did see. And then at the bottom we have the Buccaneers at 28, Chargers at 23, and Pittsburgh at 8. So it looks to me like if you can't get the big plays, you know, they just help. And that's why having guys like Tyreek Hill really do make a difference in this league. In an injured versus recovered, time to get to that. We have injured Edmonton Oilers forward Evander Kane had his wrist sliced on the... He's literally injured. He had his wrist sliced in a game, and he will most likely, they said, miss at least a month. So on the video, it looks like... I mean, it was accidental. The guy's just trying to step kind of over him. They got crossed up, and... His skate looks like it, it comes across maybe the radial side of his palmar side of his hand, so palm up, thumb side is what kind of went through. So there is a major artery in there, the radial artery. You do get a little bit of help from your ulnar arteries right there as well on the other side, but you'd need both of them. They uh, There also is some other things in the area, like the ulnar nerve was probably protected on, the, on your pinky side, your median nerve goes through the middle that could be in danger it's usually a little bit deeper and then there are some flexor muscles some forearm and finger flexor muscles that run across there so i don't expect any real nerve damage i do expect there to be some need to repair some arteries and some of those flexor muscles in that area and i assume i don't know how much grip strength plays into hockey so he might not be able to lose a whole lot of strength in that regard, but the mobility, you know, it is a, a wrist sport with some touch plays and such. So we'll keep an eye on his recovery and uh, if any more details come out on that regarding that injury. Recovered, Kirk Cousins, as we said, he was, and it's been all over Twitter and everything, but he was the goofy old dad who couldn't get things done anywhere earlier on in the year and in the last couple of years and now he is the jacked dude who wears his trendy glasses and all his teammates bling and he's cool so winning cures all even kirk cousins reputation injured the acc we talked about it earlier but they're in a position to have a whatever in one conference champ and not get in they'd and they're probably the last conference to have, like if we were going to take TCU as the only one in the Big 12, but any of the Pac-12, maybe even a one-loss non-conference champ in Tennessee and or Ohio State would get in over them. I just think both of those teams are so bad. And Notre Dame's regular season record since signing that half-a-year contract where they play half their games, five or so games in, The ACC, they are thirty-three and zero in such games. They just have to be able to beat teams like Stupid Marshall and Stanford at home, and then they would be fine. They just need to play more ACC, I guess. Recovered the Houston Astros, cheat or no cheat, they are the best. They have been there so consistently and won a couple in the last couple years. I think this should not clear their name, but give them the respect. And I think he. It's over. They've won before, and they've won after. Injured, the LA Lakers are close to the worst team in basketball right now with uh, two wins. They went from champions in the bubble, and, you know, it was in the bubble, but they were the best team by far. No one was able to hang with them. They were just the best team. And then last year, they had the second-best record in basketball going into Christmas. Then LeBron gets hurt, and they have been clinging to I don't know how many wins they've even had since LeBron got hurt, and that's half a season of basketball plus. So they're just bad now. I don't know what happened. They traded away all their shooting, which is important, I guess. I do know what happened, but it is sad to see the King go out this way. Recovered the Bucks, kind of. They're really beat up right now. And they were against the Celtics last year. They had some bad injury luck. And right now, Giannis, Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, and Chris Middleton are all listed as out for a game or two. I didn't really go into why. But they are off to a 10-1 start, and they're the best team in basketball. So looks like if they can stay healthy, they will be tough to deal with. Injured, Ime Udoka, who we talked about, I think, maybe potentially getting the job back in brooklyn will no longer have the job they came out and said that jack vaughn will be replacing steve nash in brooklyn so he was the interim head coach a couple years ago before steve nash and he was the interim coach filling in for steve nash the last couple games and now he's gonna be taking over if you don't know who jack vaughn was like i did not i will tell you he was an all-american at kansas And then a journeyman, 27th pick overall in the NBA from 1997 to 2009 where he played for the Spurs, Magic, Hawks, and Nets, and Jazz. So he bounced around quite a bit. And then immediately after finishing his final run with the Spurs where he won a ring in 2007, he started coaching the next year. And was there until 2012 when he jumped over to Orlando. And then he's been with the Nets since. In his press conference, it was kind of sad, actually. He said he... I'll pull up the the quote. It was a bummer. This is his quote. I guess I was the write-in candidate in the minds of elections right now. But I'm okay with that. I said to my wife, I might not have been your first choice... And we've been together 20 years, so it can all work out. So off we go. Obviously, he is very confident in himself and the Nets going forward. So I hope that he does well just because it seems like he has had some experience and knows the guys. The Nets are a dumpster fire, but I hope he uh, gets some confidence and feels like he can figure it out and put out that fire. And then recovered, the U.S., World Cup men's team has been announced, and I saw Christian Pulisic is on the roster, so we have a chance. I don't really know anyone else. I know there's like Brantley or something like that, and I'll get into it as we get closer because I do love the World Cup. But right now, I know we have one of the best players in the world in Christian Pulisic, and hopefully he can lead this team over England in the group of death onto a significant run. I don't expect him to win because... Tournament styles like that are just hard to do. That's like the March Madness. Rarely does the best team even make it to the finals or when we start off. So that is soccer. We'll finish up with that, I guess. All right, have a good week, and we'll talk to you next time.